I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Get used to the mantra, all gas, no break. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter. Joined by a special guest today, Robert Mays of The Athletic, The Athletic Football Show, and Robert Mays on Twitter. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, you know, exciting week last week in the NFL and, and lots of tr- trades and draft shakeup and things like that. So, you know, we're about a month out now and uh, free agency is kind of in that in that second tier. So lots of exciting stuff from Jets perspective and the NFL as a whole. But um, last week we saw a couple of huge trades, the Dolphins, Eagles and 49ers, the main ones involved. But that those trades did affect the Jets in a, in a huge way and kind of where they where they may be going. So, um as of right now, everything I've heard, I'm sure everything you've heard, Zach Wilson's probably going to be the pick at two. Um, thoughts on Zach Wilson as a whole and how he may fit in New York? I'm excited about him. I was excited about him from the first time I watched him because it's so funny how quickly this stuff changes, right? I mean, in November, I want to say, I was in Miami visiting my in-laws and we were there for a little while. And that was when it seemed clear that the bear season was taking a turn for the worst. So I started to watch Zach Wilson because that was about the same time he had been creeping up and up and up. It's like, oh man, let's say if the Bears get the eighth overall pick, is that somebody they'd be able to kind of chase? So I started watching him and I was like, ooh, (laughs) this is interesting. I mean, he clearly has something and um, just can make off schedule throws and, you know, can play outside of structure in fun ways. And I, I know Daniel Jeremiah loved him. And from even like that moment early on, and I know Dane Brugler had been talking about him. So I started, I was texting DJ about him, like, what do you think about him? And he was a huge fan. And I, same kind of deal. You know, I, I think that I kind of align with that. I don't know nearly as much as those guys do. I kind of uh, in that, you know, I don't know quarterbacks, but I know what I like sort of deal when it comes to those sorts of players. And that's kind of what he fit. And you, you can clearly see why teams would be attracted to him. And, you know, that throw he made in the pro day, which I don't want to overstate, but just the initial movement of it, is that boot to the left that you see the Shanahan teams make. So just his ability to kind of make throws on the move like that, if you're a team that's going to run a ton of play action and boot stuff, that's attractive. Like that idea is fun. And I just think that he makes total sense. He's got a face made for New York too, right? I mean, it, he looks like a main character in a high school like football movie. So I think in a lot of different ways, it makes sense. And I, if I were a Jets fan, I would be excited. I would be terrified of the inevitable letdown if it were to eventually happen. But I I definitely think in this moment, I would be happy about where this is going. Yeah. Something with Wilson that's interesting for me is that it's, 
everyone knows I talk about Sam all the time. And I thought potentially building around him and getting all these picks back and all that type of stuff. But obviously you got to accept reality. And, um, you know, realistically, Wilson's going to be a pick at two. And he's super interesting from a lot of stuff that people really love about Sam or loved about Sam. He does a lot of similar ish things. I know he does some better, some worse, you know, it depends on how you look at it, but these flash plays that are just so hard. I've gotten texts from people like, what do you think of the, a lot of the throws he made at the pro day? And I was like, he knew damn well, I'm going to blow the top off his pro day because I can make this throw. And people just, you don't see guys at, at these pro days do these types of things. They're a lot more, he did a lot of off schedule, different arm angle stuff that you don't see a lot of these prospects do. Um, and I thought that was super interesting. Great by his camp, to be honest with you, that, you know, if you can make these type of throws and that's going to go viral and, that's what you have to do it in, in 2020, 2021. So um, I love a lot of the stuff he does well. Um, the only couple of things with Wilson that I'm a little weary of is just I'd like to see him put on weight. Um, I know he's a young kid and baby face in the whole nine yards, but I do I would like to see him look, put on a little bit of weight, um, just be able to take some hits, even though the quarterbacks obviously protect him more than they ever have been. And the other thing is just I saw there's a couple of clips that go viral on, on Twitter and, and things like that of him rolling into pressure to make throws. Um I, I would assume with great coaching in, in the NFL, they're going to try to work on that, but you don't ever want to see guys take roll out of the pocket, roll right into a pressure to try to make a, a splash play. But those things I think are super correctable. The arm talent's off the charts. He's an athletic kid. So um, yeah, Jets fans should be excited at the end of the day. A lot of guys have missed QB one. Um, I think that might be a little bit of momentum talking and wanting to be wanting to predict the next guy. Um, no offense, Chris Sims, but um, yeah, no. So I think they should be excited. The other part of the trade I wanted to ask you about is for the 49ers, because I thought they're trading up probably to take Trey Lance. I felt like that might make be a great spot, but there's a lot of Mac Jones heat that's done now that's getting brought up. I know Daniel and Jeremiah brought up in your podcasts this morning. Um, what are your thoughts on A, if they take Mac Jones and B, what they should probably be doing at three? I have, so we're doing our show on the quarterbacks on Wednesday with Nate. So I'm going to really dig into those guys over the next two days. And again, I'm not a quarterback expert and, but based on everyone that I've trust that have, has talked about this is that Mac Jones just doesn't have the ceiling that the rest of these guys have when it comes to physical ability. And if you look at, we talked about it on our show today, I think that having answers and solutions earlier in your career, you can lean on that physical ability and off schedule playmaking and just mobility in general to give yourself answers when they're not there. If Kyle Shanahan has enough faith in his ability to provide his quarterback with answers and you just need a point and shoot quarterback and he thinks that Mac Jones is the guy, then maybe that makes sense for them. I also think that this time of year is huge for misinformation and there's no, we have no sense of what sort of information there is. Anyone in the world can say, well, why would you trade up to three when you can get Mac Jones at 12? No one knows that Mac Jones is going to be available at 12. Like any schmo on Twitter saying that, like, it's just everyone needs to calm down and accept what they don't know or understand. And I think that's a big part of this. And if you can objectively look at what Mac Jones has put on tape compared to a guy like Justin Fields or Trey Lance, or just what we know about their physical profile and say, he does not have as many physical gifts as those two guys that we can objectively say, other than that, I don't know how much we can really say, about the value, about the Niners' motivations, about all of this other stuff. To me, the more interesting consideration here is if they really do like him, what does that say about their preferences? And that's kind of what we tried to explain, explore with, uh, with Daniel today. But other than that, I, I just don't know 
how many things you can say for certain, especially when it comes to the value they're getting or who might be available or any of that other stuff. Cause there's no way for us to know at this point last year, we didn't think Baker or with this point in 2018, no one thought Baker Mayfield was going to be the number one pick. Like it's just, there are so many things that are hard to pin down at this point in the calendar. And that's why I'm a little bit weary about trying to talk in too many absolutes when it comes to this sort of stuff. You mean Dan, you didn't see Daniel Jones going six or six? Yeah, exactly. Six? Exactly. It, it's no just, offense, there's no way to know. I mean, th- it's possible that after their time at the senior bowl and with the need for quarterback, the Panthers are like, Mac Jones is our guy. We are taking him at eight. And if you're the Niners and though that's the logical trade partner and you think that's where you need to get to, then I can understand that. If you're worried about Carolina coming up to four with Atlanta, if they don't like, there's just so many things that we don't know or understand at this point. So if you think that's your guy, then I can understand going to get him. I can also can understand criticisms of that not being the right sort of approach in a quarterback class that has as many talented guys as this one does. I mean, at the end of the day, I know people don't want to hear this, but Kyle Shanahan got Matt, I mean, got Matt Ryan and MVP and got to the Super Bowl. So if that's the profile of quarterback he wants and Schaub, like that offense has had Matt Schaub, it's had Matt Ryan, he just went to a Super Bowl with Jimmy G. Um, whether we like it or not, uh, it, he's been successful with it. So if anyone's going to be able to get the best out of Matt Jones, I would assume Kyle Shanahan's going to be that guy. Um, we'll switch gears a little to free agency as a whole. Um, your thoughts on a initially how free agency played out based on what you kind of thought. I know everyone had different thoughts on how, you know, the last couple of weeks would play out and then B the jets overall. Um, how do you feel they've a performed and um, do you like what they've done? I think for the most part, the movement in free agency worked out how I thought it was going to. You know, there are a couple of deals that don't seem to align with the lack of money out there and everything else. I mean, like when the Nelson Aguilar deal happened as fast as it did with New England, like that was surprising. And the Galladay deal, you look at that and it's like, he probably could have gotten that in any year. And so there are a couple of those deals that are a little bit shocking, but for the most part, I think that stuff landed about in the range that I expected it to. The teams I thought would be active were active. You know, the Jets made some splashy moves. Uh, the Bengals used their money again. Um, the Jags spent, but not as crazily as I thought they might. So I think that was maybe a tiny bit surprising. I didn't expect the Colts to do very much uh, in the market. So nothing really shocking. I think the most surprising thing was how active and aggressive the Patriots were compared to what we've seen in years past. I think if you look at the money they had, the struggles they had last year, the lack of talent they have on the roster, it makes sense but it still was a little bit surprising on the Jets side of it. I mean, we talked about this the week before free agency started on our show. We did all the under the radar free agents that we liked. And then we did the two guys who weren't under the radar, but we still thought were guys that moved the needle in free agency, which are not, those guys don't often become available. The two guys we said were, were Corey Davis and Carl Lawson and the Jets signed both of them. So I liked it. I mean, those are two guys I legitimately think, can be one B stars in the NFL, not stars, but one B like high level contributors. Like I think that we can look at the Corey Davis contract in two years when the cap rebounds and he's making $13 million a year and the top wide receivers are making 22 and say, that's reasonable. That, that is a totally reasonable return. And I think the same thing goes for Lawson. I mean, you look at the Bosa contract, and I, what is it? It's something like $23 million a year at this yeah, point. Yeah, this year he's going to make 27 as a cap hit. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. But I think overall, like, that, the average is creeping up and up and up over 20. Miles Garrett contract is the same. So if Lawson's at $15 million and he's 
a top 10 edge rusher, that's palatable even by free agency standards. So I think that's the key thing is if you can get players at impact positions and they're not, the contracts that don't work out in free agency in my mind are the market setting money for Trent Brown. It's giving Juwan James that sort of money. It's having to pay that sort of premium for guys that just aren't stars. And whether it was because of the financial landscape of the league or whatever, the Jets didn't have to play star level money to those two guys. They paid quality starter money to those two guys, high quality. But I do think that you can extract value from those two deals. And I think that's often hard to do in free agency. Yeah, something that um, I noticed as well is that the Jets have a lot of times not signed guys who want to be Jets. I know that's such a cliche and people, a lot of analytic people hate when I bring this stuff up, but it does matter to me. Um, you know, I love CJ Mosley as a player. I think he's awesome. And I can't, you couldn't foresee getting injured and Adam Gase and COVID and all these different things, but they reset the market to pay 18 and a half million to a middle linebacker. Like you just mentioned, that was probably back half of his prime based on the position. And then I don't know that he was really like, I'm so pumped to be a Jet. Maybe I'm wrong, but people I know, I don't think that was like, he can't want, he wanted to be, I'm sure he wanted to be a Raven and it was like hard to pass up almost $20 million a year to play middle line, like middle linebacker in a three, four, but at the time. So, you know, Carl Lawson's talked excessively about Robert Sala and wanting to be a Jet. I think Corey Davis has talked a lot about, yeah, I want to change something here. Like a lot of people want that. I know it's easier said than done. And Jets fans don't want to hear culture changer because Jamal Adams, kind of ruin that for every fan but that type of stuff does matter and I think to your point usually guys that get to free agency are there for a reason I know you brought this up I believe this morning or when Kyle and Fuller was caught by the Bears but it's very rare to get both guys in their prime and at a good value it just doesn't happen often in free agency so that was just an interesting point at least for me I think I totally agree and I think the Mosley contract is a perfect example I think the Tremaine Johnson contract is another example of that I mean, those are the types of deals that it's like you're paying top five at the position money to these guys, and in Moses' case, number one, and that's just a really risky route to follow when it comes to free agency, and they didn't do that. So, I mean, I legitimately believe there is a chance in two years they're sitting there being like, we are happy we signed these deals. And for free, even free agent deals that work out, it's usually one year's worth of working out, and two years in, you're like, how can we get away from this? And I do think that there is a world where they avoid that track that so many other teams have fallen down. Do you feel like for the Patriots, I know you brought them up as somebody that spent a lot of money and it's kind of an interesting topic of every, you know, a lot of stuff I listen to as well. It's, we like what they did and they got better, but did Matthew Judon like make them a contender now or did uh, Hunter Henry and, you know, I mean, like, it's just like a lot of, I feel like they got better, but I don't, still don't know that they're as good as Buffalo, at least even in the division. They're kind of the same as Miami, just a little bit better roster, I guess. Do you like what they did? Or like, I don't know. I feel like Cam has to be at least 75% of MVP Cam for them to really contend this year. I think that's true. And I think that the conversation we're having about the Patriots is similar to the conversations we have about teams that spend in free agency. Like we want to ascribe this magic to them. And sometimes that's just not how it is. Now, they're well coached, and I think they will be well coached again, but they haven't drafted very well over the last few years. They are talent efficient, and they're trying to make up for it. And the players available in free agency are never going to be good enough to move the needle that much if you stockpile a lot of them. We've seen it happen with dozens and dozens of teams. You know it extremely well. And 
that's okay. Like it's okay for the Patriots to be a team that felt a tiny pang of desperation and had to spend in free agency and didn't make themselves a contender by doing it. Just because those guys happen to be wearing Patriots uniforms doesn't mean spending money in free agency suddenly makes you a contender now. I think being a little bit better, but how much better is the same sort of question and the same sort of consideration we have with spenders in free agency every single year. And it's not special just because it's the Patriots. So I guess I'll, I'll put you on the spot here. Two teams who you, you would say they don't have to have spent the most money. They may have just made quality signings. Two teams who you would say got better the last two months. It could have been early trades. Like for me, the Rams by default, they overpaid Leonard Floyd, in my opinion, but the Rams for me, they upgraded so much at quarterback that I think they can only be like, they only, they have to be winners just because they upgrade the most important position. And a guy who maybe Stafford is more overrated now because everyone's talking about him, but he's been underrated for 78 years. Um, and then two teams who you think, no offense to your bears. I'm not sure. I mean, they might creep in there, but um, although any Dalton's a stud, so I don't know. Um, but no, two teams who got worse over the offseason so far before pre-draft and two teams who you would say got better. I think Washington got better. And I think that the reason Washington got better and the reason I would say them is because if you look at the quarterback play they got last year, they are the perfect example of going from the worst possible quarterback play to middle of the road quarterback play. And we have seen year in and year out how much that sort of improvement can do for a team. And I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the perfect bridge option that allows them to create some morale, to evaluate the players on their offense, to see what the offense can look like with functional quarterbacking, but doesn't preclude them from making a move next year one way or the other. I think that William Jackson is the exact type of player I would spend on if I had money in free agency. Guy with a ton of pedigree, a ton of physical ability. It allows them to kind of make some tweaks on defense, I think. If they're going to play a little bit more man, if they're going to be a little more aggressive, I think that's how you push off defensive regression is by trying to play with the talent that you have on that side of the ball and doing a couple different things. So I love that. And I think that Corey Sam or Curtis Samuel is a really fun player. I just think that the plan they had makes sense to me for where they are right now. I think that Denver got better. I mean, I, you bring back Justin Simmons, you know, we have, and I think they got better just because the guys they're bringing back, Justin Simmons, Von Miller coming back, going to get Kyle Fuller, having Shelby Harris resign. I mean, that's a defense. Kareem Jackson signed that short-term deal. I, Ronald Darby's fine. I, I think that that's a, a mistake. Sure, that was the one only signing I didn't like. And everyone was like, he had so many pass breakups. I'm like, dude, it's because they threw at him every single play. I, that's just the type of move that very rarely works out. If a guy was available for a million bucks the year earlier and you're going to pay him $10 million a year, that we've seen that fail over and over and over again. But I do think that overall that team is better than they were just by virtue of the guys getting healthier, everything else. I, they wouldn't surprise me whatsoever for them to be the, the best defense in the NFL or one of the best defenses in the NFL. And that's why I'm intrigued by if they were to trade for Darnold, what it might look like. I just, they're a team that I'm paying way more attention to now than I would have been a little while ago. Uh, a team that I think objectively got worse um, is the Steelers. I mean, they didn't add any players and they lost guys. Tyson Alou ended up going back there, but it's just on the margins. It's the idea that, all right, now, instead of Cam Sutton being somebody who steps in when we have an injury at corner, he's a starter. Instead of Alex Highsmith stepping in for Bud Dupree, he's a starter. Instead of Robert Spillane stepping in for Vince Williams, he's a starter. And you're seeing that all over the place. You know, they have what seems like a, a succession plan along their offensive line where, you know, you have Kevin Dotson's now there and, you know, 
Chuck Sakawara, the guy that played a little, a little bit last year, see now your right tackle and where's Filer go. They have the pieces, but it still feels like it's hard. There are not that many avenues without a killer draft for the 2021 Steelers to be a more talented team than the 2020 Steelers were. And it's not as if you can project improvements or any sort of development from your quarterback. I think that it's headed in the opposite direction. So I definitely think that's one of those teams. And I absolutely, the Bears is, is hard to pin down because I think that Andy Dalton can be better than Foles was for them last year. If that's good enough to make up for the downgrade from Kyle Fuller to Desmond Trufant. And then I think that the defensive changes and bringing in Sean Desai to be the defensive coordinator, I have faith that the defense can be better than it was last year, even with Fuller not there anymore. And you bring up the Rams, I think is interesting because I, we really, I think people should check themselves when it comes to projecting the Rams, because it's not as simple to me as, all right, let's take the 2020 Rams and sub in Matthew Stafford for Jared Goff. Cause that's not what happened. They got worse defensively because they're having to pay so many guys. You, know, you lose John Johnson, you lose Troy Hill and those aren't the most important pieces on their defense, but those matter. John Johnson was really important to what they did schematically on defense. And you lose Brandon Staley, who, in my opinion, was the best defensive play caller in the NFL last year by a lot. And while Raheem Morris has done a decent job, there are going to be some schematic tweaks, all that other stuff. To me, it's almost the opposite of what's happening in Chicago, where I think the Bears are going to take a schematic upgrade. I think the Rams are going to take a schematic downgrade. And those things are just hard to project. Yeah, like just a couple of things you covered there, which I definitely agree with. I would have paid Troy Hilton, John Johnson, and let Leonard Floyd walk. I think uh, Marcus Spears talked about this on Friday's pod. It was just like, yeah, Leonard Floyd's good, and he's and he turned himself from not being a bust, and there's the, all those types of things are important. But he got ten and a half sacks, and he had like eight and a half of them were like expected sacks. Like he, it wasn't like he was sitting there just like over like didn't totally overperform like he just did it like the sacks that were there he got and sacks is a tough number to grade on that's why Carl Lawson somebody you mentioned earlier I'm really excited about I mean to have, be fourth in the NFL in pressures and be on a terrible defensive line you can only imagine now playing it next to Quinn Williams these types of guys will get better but yeah the Bears are weird because I feel like Dalton's getting a ton of hate but I think it's also just because the expectation was oh my god they're going to trade for Russell Wilson this is going to happen and I know you can talk more about this, but like, that's pretty much why I think people are so upset with it. Like any Dalton, I think made five or six pro bowls. Like I know he had a good roster and the whole nine yards, but I don't think he's some like trash football player. I just think people were expecting a roster to Sean Watson. And that's what frustrated everybody. Um, Steelers. I don't get, I don't get what's going on. Uh, to be honest with you, it feels like they're stuck in between two different eras of like, they've got these young receivers and they've got TJ Watt and all these guys and Minka and like, those guys are great, but like Ben wasn't good last year, like at all. Like in the beginning, he looked fine, and then I feel like his body just totally fell apart in the playoff game. Like I can't get that image out of my head of in a playoff game, there's a ball on the ground and you're not trying to recover it. And like Cam got slaughtered in the Super Bowl for that, and Big Ben did the exact same thing, and they got boat raced at home by a Cleveland team. And it's like they got worse, and they were really bad at the end of the year. So I don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah, no, I, I, there's some of these teams watching that is really intriguing to me. I think Fitzpatrick, when he's around a young quarterback, is kind of hit or miss because he knows he can play. And so it sometimes causes a little bit of a locker room problem. I feel like with Tua, that was a little weird that, like, they draft a guy in the top five and then he's getting, you know, he comes in as Mariano Rivera. Um, but Washington's got a lot of talent. Like, they were really good. They played Tampa Bay the best of anybody in the playoffs 
Um, well, I mean, I guess Green Bay, but yeah, I don't know. So there's a lot of different things, but were you, did you actually feel confident there was a chance you were going to get Russ? I just feel like the picks oh. didn't add up. No, it makes no sense. It, like there was, it never made any sense. It, if you're Seattle, how does that align with anything that you've done over the last like two years? Uh, there, it does not track whatsoever to trade two first round picks for Jamal Adams. And then less than a year later, trade your starting quarterback. It, it just, those two things don't compute. And if they want to move on after this year and with the money situation changing, the fact that there were third would have been $39 million in dead money before June, all that other stuff, it never made any sense. I never thought it was going to happen. My frustration with the, with the bears quarterback situation and it landing on Andy Dalton is that I wish it would have been Andy Dalton in October of 2019 when they could have trade, and I know that the Bengals might not have done this, but in a more theoretical way, I wish a Andy Dalton like figure would have been the bears quarterback much earlier than this. I said it last year. I, no one said you had to have Nick Foles as your guy on March 15th or whatever it was. No one. I would have waited it out and seen the writing on the wall with the Daltons and the Newtons and the Jameis Winstons and just said, if we really want competition, if that's what we're after here, then why not try to sign a guy for a bargain basement price, which I think you could have got. Andy Dalton signed for $6 million last year to play with the Cowboys, I believe. Might have been even less than that. And people have spun it as he wanted to be closer to his family and you know, he wanted a chance to start and all this other stuff, or he, like whatever it was. You think that Andy Dalton, who took one year and $10 million from the Bears this year, wouldn't have taken $1, million, one year, $10 million with the Bears in May of last year if you had offered it to him? It's this, it makes no sense. So to me, it's a process issue. It, to me, it's trading a fourth-round pick for Nick Foles and paying him $22 million guaranteed instead of waiting and potentially signing a guy like Andy Dalton in May of last year for the same price without having to give up anything, and then eventually, a year later, coming around and landing on Andy Dalton anyway. Like that to me is the most frustrating part of this. Yeah. I just, I just don't understand. There's just like, it felt like there was no plan. Kind of like you mentioned, like you knew Mitch was not your guy last year. And even if he played really well this year, Bears fans are still going to be like, eh, I, I don't really want to, you don't want to overpay this guy. It's something we can get to right after this, but you knew you were going to need to bridge that gap. You were either going to be bad enough to draft the guy in the top 10, or you were going to be good enough where, you could, you know, be an attractive spot for somebody that's on the market, like a Russell Wilson, obviously, but you don't have the picks to be able to do it. It made no sense for Seattle. And people were like, oh, it's three first round picks. I'm like, okay. And they draft three first round flyer guys at tackle. Like that doesn't, that doesn't do anything um, for Seattle. But no, the Andy Dalton thing is super frustrating because he's now going to go into this position where people are already like so down on what he's going to do. And he could have a nice year next year and play a little bit better than Mitch did and Foles combined. And they could go to the playoffs and people are like, oh, well, you know, Whatever, it's just he's in an impossible situation. I feel like, um, speaking of you know, not just Mitch and the Sam Darnolds, the Goffs, Baker's coming up on this, Lamar, which is one that's really interesting to me how he's going to get paid. Um, you know, Josh and all these guys are coming up on you know, potentially getting extensions. How do you see this quarterback market playing out? Um, from paying the quarterback perspective, Mahomes obviously totally reset the market last year, but um, something we've we talked about is just some of these Andy Dalton, Cam Newton guys who are getting much more tier two money and it's kind of bringing the market back down. So how do you see that playing out for some of these guys going into year four or five um, trying to look for extensions? I think that Josh Allen gets the Watson uh, DAC money. No question. I, I think that every sign points to that happening, the way they've built around him, his improvements, 
um, how much they love him in Buffalo. I think that every single aspect, even if you have questions about whether he can replicate what he did last year, which I think are totally fair, I still think all signs, all signs point to him getting that sort of contract. Uh, I think Lamar is the same, same way. I, I can't imagine a world where a former MVP and somebody who they seem to really like there and they've really built around in a dramatic way uh, is not going to get paid. And I think that if you're looking at precedent, it just makes sense for him to get paid in that same sort of way. Um, with Baker, I think that's going to be the big question. And I think that what happened with Goff and what that situation looked like and how it eventually unfolded will be informative in the way the Browns want to do this. And I think that the Dalton contract and the Fitzpatrick contract and those sorts of deals, even if they're for players at a different point in their career, I still think it's helpful for a team that wants to land somewhere between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Dak Prescott when they want to pay their quarterback. And I think that's what the Browns eventually will want to do because I can understand being excited about what Baker Mayfield accomplished last year and also thinking that a huge portion of your success is attributable to the system that you ran, the type of offense that you have, and not necessarily to the abilities of your quarterback. And that's a really difficult thing to parse. Like it's not easy to draw the lines of where one of those aspects ends and where one begins. And there are dynamics to think about. Like I think that people like Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. I think that the locker room would be happy if they paid Baker Mayfield, if they moved on, what sort of message would it send? All of that kind of stuff is those are things you need to consider. And it's not always as easy as well, look at the number, look at the player, do those things align. If the answer is no, then we're moving on. It's just, that's not how any of it works. And I think that too often I am guilty of this as anyone, we can fall into that line of thinking when it comes to that spot, especially. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, they're going to be tough because I think, like to your point, I think Allen's going to get paid um, no matter what. Lamar, the only reason I, I'm interested to see how it works, I don't, I, he'll get paid. Um, I'm just interested to see when the roster is slightly more depleted and like they don't haven't given him. I think Mark Andrews is a nice player. I think Greg Roman gets a lot of heat and maybe he doesn't adapt enough or later in games. But I do think he puts Lamar in a great position to succeed. He won an MVP and yes, Lamar is great, but they do need to run the ball. That's how you're going to be successful for somebody that is a good thrower, but he's not somebody that I don't think creates that much on his own in terms of he's going to throw guys wide open in, in tight windows. He just hasn't shown that consistently. And it's not, a, it's not a knock on him. It's just his skill set. So uh, the Ravens are going to be super interesting going forward. I don't know what to do with Baker because I think Baker's good, but like you said, schematically, Stefanski did a great job. He also has two of probably the top 10 running backs in football. He's got a great offensive line. 
multiple weapons, a good defense, and like everything kind of came together this year. And some of the games I felt like where he had to do everything himself, it just it does bother me slightly, and it's probably unfair. And you can you can correct me if I'm wrong. Mahomes gets injured in that game in the playoffs, and for them to like get so close but not be able to beat Kansas City felt like a slight indictment, similar to the way I felt about Tannehill the year before, where like they had this early lead. And these guys are good, and I think their ceiling is probably between seven and twelve as guys. It's just like it's tough when you watch them lose playoff games when it's on their shoulders, um, especially this year with Baker. Am I am I wrong for being a tiny bit critical of Baker in that sense? I don't think you're wrong. I just think that we have to understand and admit that not everyone can have a top five guy, and there's just it's by definition it's not possible. And you have to eventually understand or try to figure out, okay, is he good enough to win with? What is the price for that? Because I think that is the most important bar with the rest of the infrastructure you have, is this person good enough to win with? And if we eventually pay him, will the infrastructure crumble enough to the point that he is no longer good enough to win with? And I think that's the trade-off that teams always are going to have to figure out as they're thinking about whether to pay these guys and how much to pay them and in what circumstances they can succeed and in which they can't, it's really, really complicated. And I think that's the point that we're going to reach with Baker Mayfield is that I don't think you're wrong. I think that he probably is a top 10 to 12 guy when it all is said and done. Is that enough though? I mean, is that enough? And I think that where you come down on that may vary. I, I, I don't know. I, I think that it probably is if you thread the needle in the rest of the way you're building the roster but do you want to have to play that game and balance all of that stuff? I mean, it's a million different considerations that these teams have to take into account when they're thinking about how the quarterback fits into the larger team building picture. I know a team you mentioned before, I'm kind of jumping around here, but um, I'm going to ask you just about a couple of Jets guys. But first, a couple of people that um, made moves. Um, Carson Wentz is one that I think is super polarizing and interesting. Um, Goff to Detroit's not so much. I just don't, I think they're in total rebuild. I think the staff is going to be super interesting with, Aaron Glenn's of the world, and um, I think he's a talented guy who's going to be a head coach someday. But um, from the, I mean, from a Colts perspective, once moves there, I feel like Philip Rivers like didn't get enough credit. I feel like he was really good last year. I know the playoff game is tough because he can't really move, and Buffalo got after him a little bit. But do you like them a going for once, and b do you think there's a chance he gets back to end of 2019 and and 2017 level, or is he? more the guy that led the league in picks and had a million turnovers last year. I think it's impossible to say. I believe that if there is going to be a situation where they, he can be fixed, he's in it. I think that with the quality of their offensive line, left tackle aside, I think they'll figure that out. The rest of the line, having Frank Reich there, the comfort within the system that Frank Reich is probably going to run, the types of things they're going to run, I think Philly eventually became a place where they had an identity crisis of what they wanted to be offensively. And I think that that only contributed to his inability to see what was happening in front of him in a developed way. And I think that he started slowing down upstairs because what was happening from Monday through Saturday wasn't conducive to his success. And I think that in Indy where you have a true distilled voice at the top. Like Frank's voice is going to be the voice he hears. That is going to be the vision presented to him on offense. And Marcus Brady and all those guys aside, 
but I just think that that didn't happen in Philly his last season there and for, for a while there. When you think about all the different voices they were bringing into that room, whether it was bringing in Rich Scangarello and, and just so many different things that they were trying to do, I think that there will be a crystallized vision in Indy, and I think that he will have every chance to succeed there. On In terms of a quarterback availability, I think – let's think about the Bears. If you – are looking at the pool of available guys and you don't think you're in a position to draft one or move up to draft one, who's there? Who's there with any upside? I think the guys you could argue have some upside at the beginning of the offseason would have been Wentz, maybe Mariota, maybe. And I've seen enough of that to think that you probably lie to yourself if that's where you land. And Darnold probably. It's really it. There aren't that many avenues to young-ish quarterbacks with a lot of talent. And if you're looking at the other available options and where the Colts ended up going, I don't think it's hard to come down on the side of they pick the guy with the most upside for a reasonable price. I know it's not cheap, but if his base salary is 25 ish million dollars, that's on the low end mid range of starting quarterback money. You can take that when you have as much cap space as they do. And if it's a three and a one eventually, and he plays well enough, You'll never think about that again. So I really do think that it's a gamble worth taking if you have confidence in the structures you have in place to get the most out of him. I did not support the Bears doing it. I do support the Colts doing it. And people may say that's hypocritical, but I think that you have to have a plan for getting the most out of a player you try to acquire. That's it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I are, I've gotten this argument before. I think I would have if the price was the exact same based on money, uh, age, injury history, upside, et cetera, I think Sam was more valuable. And this is maybe me being biased, but I think for the specific situation in Indy with a coaching staff that, um, especially a head coach offensive coordinator that was able to get once to play at MVP level and they won a Super Bowl, like it made so much sense. And to your point, if you get your starting quarterback for the next 10 years at a reasonable price and you give up a one, uh, a future one and a three, no one cares. It sounds like a lot now. And people were like with the bears, I think the bears were in, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Everything I heard with the bears were in on once, but to a certain point, to a certain point. Um, and for Sam, I think Denver and Carolina are both great spots. I know Denver's had huge issues with quarterback, but there's a lot of talent on that offense, like a lot. And Garrett Bowles was finally better this year at left tackle, their defense. If it's that great, there's no written Elway love Sam. I can see them making a move there. And then Carolina, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't want to crap on Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I think he's a nice, he's a nice player and I think he's had a nice NFL career, but they lost a lot of one score games last year. And I know Panthers fans who just feel like, dude, he couldn't, he just couldn't get us to that spot we need to be. Um, so I think those are two spots for Sam um, that make a lot of sense. We'll see what happens with him. Um, I think the Jets have misread the market a little bit. Um, not from how much they want for Sam, just the timing of it. Once 49ers make that trade, Sam's value just tanked. Like it's and waiting, like if you were in a trade, I think you traded him the day for, before free agency. That way Fitzpatrick hasn't signed, Cam's not signed, Mariota, all these guys that could kind of fill a similar-ish void. It was just I feel like they misread the market a little bit and the timing more so than anything. Possibly, but I also think that you can look at precedent for this. Let's say Denver believes they can trade up for a quarterback. They don't know what Atlanta is going to do. They still think that there are spots within the top 10 that they could possibly get to Detroit. Maybe 
let's say that they're the seventh overall pick is whoever the the fourth quarterback is. Let's say Trey Lance is still on the board or something. Justin Fields, whoever it is. And the Broncos can trade up to get him. Maybe they think they, that's possible. Let's say that doesn't work out. Now, Sam Darnold is more valuable to them than he was when they thought that that was a possibility. Also, let's think about the last time a situation like the Garoppolo thing happened. It was in 2016 with the Eagles, where they had given Sam Bradford that two-year $36 million extension in March. And then a month and a half later, they give up that monster trade package to go get Carson Wentz. And everyone's like, what are you doing? Like how those two moves do not align with one another. They hang on to Bradford. Teddy Bridgewater tears his ACL. They get a first round pick for Sam Bradford. So I think in a lot of ways, you're right. But I also think that there are arguments for hanging on to him because you don't know what some of this, it's a shrinking list of teams, but you don't know what that list of teams is going to want or need over the next six months as they try to fill that spot at quarterback. So I tend to agree in some ways, but I also can understand their thinking from wanting to hang on to him and wait for a little bit more clarity as the rest of the seats get filled. That makes a lot of sense. I know there's like the medical, there's like the kind of fake combine medical stuff coming up with Zach Wilson and guys like that. And as much as he's pretty much a lot to go to, God forbid something happens with the shoulder, people are freaked out about. So I guess there's a lot of time. That's a good point. But I guess we'll finish with a couple of just Jets guys. Um, somebody, maybe two or three guys who you think will either take a huge step this year, um, some of the younger guys, or maybe two or three guys you're just excited to watch play in a new uh, new coaching staff, new system, new environment that may have played under expectations under. I don't even want to mention the guy's name. <laughs> <laughs> I think the new guys are the guys I'm excited about. I, I, I'm really curious to see what they can get out of Sheldon Rankins. And like, let's say Gerard Davis is okay. Like I, I was on Barnwell's show and he was just crapping all over it. Like, why would you do that? And I was like, why wouldn't you do that? If you had $40 million in cap space or whatever the Jets had, why wouldn't you give a former first-round pick $5.5 million when he had a, the worst defensive coaching staff arguably in the NFL for his entire time in Detroit? Rich was not a good coach. Shocking, right? It's, it's amazing that every single defensive player that wound up in Detroit ended up playing worse than he did in his previous stop. So who knows? And I think that Rankins is like the type of bet I would make you think pairing him with Williams and Lawson and also like John Franklin Myers is a good player. Like I like watching him play. I just a really intriguing group. And I think the same goes for watching. Well, first of all, watching Lawson in that defense. I just think that lining him up as a wide nine and letting him go to town every single play is very exciting to me. And I am excited to watch what Corey Davis can be in that offense and Denzel Mims. Like the idea of Davis Mims, Q and Cole, with Zach Wilson, and let's say they tried to, you know, draft an offensive lineman in the second round, something like that. I just feel like I'm excited to watch the plan for that offense and what Mike uh, Michael Fuller looks like as a, as a play caller. How similar is it going to look to Shanahan's offense? How do they filter it through this personnel? I'm excited to watch the Jets, like just point blank. I am curious what they end up looking like in 2021. It's been a while since I've said that. I, I don't know. I mean, the only, last, the only times I think I've been excited watching them, truthfully, is going into 2019, where there was a lot of expectation around new coach, Sam's going to take a step year two, and they signed Le'Veon, and they spent all this money on all these guys, and obviously it 
kind of collapsed when Mosley tears his groin. It's the third quarter, they blow a lead, and then Sam Esmano, it's been crap since then. But, um, you know, yeah, I think those guys are super exciting. And I think just watching the Jets change their offensive philosophy is a huge thing. Like, welcome to the 21st century. Like, this is the way people run offense. They try to run the ball, but running the ball is all about situationally can you run it it's not can we run it 55 times and then just on second and nine every time like i know <laughs> I, I was laughing i think i think joe kai brosa tweeted this yesterday he was like i'm gonna probably shed a tear watching on second and nine and then not run the ball right up the middle with 45 year old frank gore <laughs> like it's crazy and people joke about it and it's whatever but that's like a serious thing and like you know i know whatever it's not even about sam it's about whoever would have been playing quarterback i don't know what you're supposed to do and it's just schematically you're in an offense that Peyton Manning invented 10 years ago. So I think people should be excited to watch. I don't know how good they're going to be, but I think they will be at least an enjoyable watch from an objective point of view. It was so funny, like six months ago, like near the end of the season, I guess, somebody on Twitter asked me if I thought the Bears or the Jets were in a worse spot. And I was like, it's not even a conversation. Like, it's not even close who's in a worse spot. It's the Bears by tenfold. Like the Jets have all of the resources in the world they have a complete reset button that they can hit and they have so many avenues to improve the team. And there is no evidence that Joe Douglas and the current power structure involved is bad at this. I mean, I don't think they crushed last year's draft by any stretch. Like I don't think Ashton Davis is like a hit in the third round or whatever his name is by any, like, but I think that Makai Becton has shown flashes to be a good player. I think that now it really starts. Like you hit on your first round pick and now you are making the biggest choices you were going to make as a general manager, most likely this off season. And what does it look like? I just think that the process has been very good over the last couple of years. I think the trading Jamal David or Jamal Adams is something you do a hundred times out of a hundred when you're at that stage of your franchise, everything, what they have done so far in the Joe Douglas era, while not perfect, makes sense to me and points to, solid process moving forward and i think that's all you can ask for as a football fan yeah i mean the draft's weird last year and we, you know, we'll finish with this but they like hit i think on becton and mims um they hit on their punter in the sixth round which is really important to the core structure of winning a super bowl um <laughs> but at the same time they did not do bryce hall i think could be a nice player in round five he was a guy that probably should have gone round two doesn't you know doesn't dislocate his ankle um but some of the picks, like, there's a couple guys that might get cut this year. Uh, I mean, and James Morgan or P Ryan's in a weird spot where like, I, I don't know that he really fits this offense that well. And he could be a guy that could potentially get cut with bringing in Tevin Coleman and people like that. Ashton Davis showed flashes of being a great athlete, but his eyes were awful um, overall. And that's a rookie safety. And I get that, but yeah, I don't know. There's a couple of times him, him one-on-one in man coverage versus Tyree kill. I know Tyree kill burns everybody, but, it was like kind of cringy to watch. So yeah, they've got to hit on some of these interior linemen and they have to hit on quarterback or else none of it matters, but at least there's a process in place and you can feel good about as a Jets fan for the people listening that there's something, there's a plan and there's a culture being built of real sustainability and just competence. Um, I, I don't think that's been a thing of the past. And I think if you start to watch from these other organizations now spend a ton of money or, take guys with low floors or things like that. The Jets, like Gerard Davis, the guy you mentioned, I was a little initially similar to Barnwell. And I was like, oh, why did they just sign this guy? He was terrible last year. And I was like, he's a 25-year-old former first-round pick out of in the wrong position in a scheme when Marcus Joyner was in the wrong position in LA or in Las Vegas, sorry. So there's 
the Jets have clearly taken the approach. We're going to take shots at low risk on these high floor guys that if they hit, they could be really good for us. And I don't know that they've always done that. They've taken a lot of guys, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, they've got a really easy schedule. I'll think, I mean, they're the Jets, so I don't know how easy the schedule really is, but <laughs> from a actual numbers previous year perspective, their schedule is much easier than it was last year. So I, I don't know. We'll see. It's the AFC East is interesting. I, I don't know what to think of Miami. I'm down on Tua, so I don't know what I'm supposed to think of, you know, it's weird. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think that's a situation where all signs would theoretically point to him being a little bit better. You know, their receiving group is going to be better, especially if they add somebody, but the co-offensive coordinator thing is scary to me. I don't know if that's ever worked out. So I, and then that's the, the risk you run of having a defensive minded head coach is that if your guy is really good, he's going to move on. Or if you have an unsettled situation there, who knows what's going to happen. The O'Shea thing didn't work out in year one. You have Gailey essentially say, no, thank you. I'm done with this. I don't want to do this. And now you're trying to find a third option in three years. That's really difficult on the jets drafting thing. And I'm not trying to give Joe Douglas a pass. I don't know Joe Douglas. I have no reason to defend him, but I think it's difficult to draft players, especially later in the draft for a lame duck coaching staff, because I really do believe that partnership is extremely important when you're thinking about how to find hits, because you want to understand how, that conversation and that dialogue between your staff and your front office is extremely important. And if you're picking players for a, a scheme that's not going to be there a year from now and all this other stuff, I think that's really hard. And I think that's part of why moving out from your general manager and not your head coach is just silly to me and never makes sense. But now I think that if they believe this is a partnership between Sala, the offensive infrastructure and Douglas, there can be an actual cohesive plan the types of players they want, all of this other stuff. I think that's extremely helpful. And that was not in place last year. And I think that's worth remembering. Yeah. And then not that in addition to the fact that for the first time and welcome to the 2020s, the Jets now have at least solid reports in their Douglas reports in the Woody, which for the longest time, it's been this weird thing where like they've had this GM gets fired. Then there's a coach stays. Then the coach gets fired, but the GM stays and then hires a new coach and the GM's fired in a year later. And then the coach is fired two years later. It's like, how are you supposed to have any type of structure like you just mentioned? That's I just I can I do agree with you. I didn't even really think about that from a past perspective. Of what if like Adam Gase loved Michael Piran and he was just like, that's my pick, or James Morgan's my pick, and then exactly. it's like, here's your flyer. You're going to be gone anyways. I don't care. And I think that that who knows with all of that stuff. I think there are situations where it can and has worked out. Like, I do believe that Tom Telesco has, 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 for the most part, followed solid practices in the way they've added talent to that roster. And I think that bringing in a guy like Brandon Staley is a way to maintain the good part of your organization and then try to fix what's wrong with it. So I think it has worked out in the past, but I do, for the most part, believe that aligning those two sides, having them on the same timeline, all of that stuff can be extremely helpful, even in a situation like the Chiefs. Brett Veach knows Andy Reid. Like that's a, that's a partnership that had been there for a while. And I think that, you know, in Tampa, it's kind of an odd pairing where you have light there, but he's known Bruce forever. And I think, so it's Talk tough. about crushing a draft, by the way. The and last I, three, did you see the last three drafts? It's like, they've got like 10 starters. It's truly amazing. And I, we're going to do some, a show about this next week, I think, just about the value of that. And we can talk all the time about how, 
And I think that earlier in my career, I think I was guilty of this, where I would look at just depth charts going into the season. I'd be like, that's the best team. That's the worst team. And that's how you judge it. And then you want to add more nuance to it than that. But every once in a while, like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017 and when the pack, when the Niners won or the Niners went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, when the Rams essentially almost won the Super Bowl. And then when the Bucks won it last year, they had the best roster. <laughs> like it, That really does help. And like the Bucks had no holes. And every once in a while, if you have that group of players, you just hit on and you put together the best team that can shine through. And oftentimes that best team, and I think the saints had an argument for it several different times and we're a couple plays away that best team can be shaped by one great run in the draft or one great set of luck in adding players in free agency. And I think that it's crazy how much that can matter. And there are a couple of teams this year that truly need one of those drafts. Have you ever seen a team bring back like every free agent? I've never seen that before a Super Bowl team. I might be writing about it this week. Okay. We'll let you, we'll <laughs> let you preview, we'll let you preview that, but we obviously appreciate you joining, uh, joining the pod and, um, athletic football show um do a great job i, I actually i'm not just saying this because because you're on the podcast i genuinely enjoy listening the athletic puts out great content as a whole um i think from a sports perspective so if you're not subscribed i think you should there's a lot of great writing and then some of the podcasts as well um there's great guests and then great follow on twitter i i enjoy some of the uh there's some there was a someone tweeted like i don't know what your rogers tweet was i, I texted you about this but it was pretty funny so definitely make sure you follow robert on Twitter. And then, uh, like I said, I know the athletic, I think, are you guys doing like a promo deal or, or some type of thing? Yeah. A dollar a month for the next six months. So, yeah. I mean, it's hard to beat that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's, to be honest with you, it's as cheap as you're going to get for, um, that type of content. So yeah, like, like I said, make sure you take them a follow and be, be on the lookout for that, you know, the article about some of the stuff with the bucks and, and things like that. And then, um, some of the stuff leading up to the draft, I think it should be super exciting. Um, if you love the NFL, you'll the Jets, it doesn't really matter. You, you'll get good content. Awesome. I really appreciate that.